So one announcement, or two announcements before we begin. Um, first, uh, what's today's date? What's today's date? What's the date for next Sunday? Which means that next Sunday there will be pizza with the pastor. That's right. Oh, our hallowed event. Um, I'd love for you to come join me. Uh, this, is, this will now be our third pizza with the pastor. Uh, it'll be right here after the service. There will be pizza. This is a great event, I'm telling you, to be able to invite uh, your neighbor or your grandkids or your kid or your coworker or your whatever, your, your squash partner or something. Um, they don't even have to come to the service. Just come join us at 11. This is a really easy way to say, like, so what would Jesus do about gun control? I just want to ask that question. Or as Christians, what do you think about immigration? Or why do you, why do you read this version of the Bible? Or should the Bible be interesting? Because I don't find it interesting. Any one of those questions, questions that I know many of us have had but we don't ask, this is a great time and a place for us to ask those questions. I don't presume to have all those answers. If you've come to the first two pizza with the pastors, there's been many times, I'm looking at Narda, where I just go like, I don't know. Next question. But I think it's important for me even to be able to say, like, listen, I don't know, but maybe we can figure out something together. I think that, that, that dance of us being able to talk and share in conversation as community is one of the things that makes us a church. So I'm telling you, uh, come join me next Sunday after our service for pizza with the pastor, uh, and I'd love for you to maybe invite someone along. Uh, second, um, I want to make a, 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 a request for help for assistance, and I'm wondering if one of you might actually fit this uh, leadership role. Um, so one of the things that me and Lori Edwards and Marsha French and a handful of other leaders have been kind of thinking about and chewing on, Gary O'Neill as well, um, has been what does it look like for our church to care for each other? Uh, you know, we are a, a relatively larger church. I mean, this is, this is not 15 people. This is, we have a large number of people that come in through a building every week. And one of the things that really matters to me is, well, how do we stay connected when we're still, you know, a large, diverse group of people? And I know that we all don't live in this zip code area, right? We've got people that are going all the way down to Renton, people that are going to the Issaquah, the deep east, as I like to say, people that are heading over to Seattle, people that are staying in Bellevue. So how, when that's the reality, how do we care for each other as a church? So one of the things we've been working on is basically what we're calling circles, which is just a really simple way of saying something that Jesus said, which is, who's your neighbor? Like, literally, who is your neighbor? Who else lives near you? If you needed to borrow some eggs, who would you ask? That's a fun question, but when all of a sudden you slip and you break your wrist, or when your partner's sick, when you heard some bad news about your kids, who will you actually call? And I think it would be really helpful for us as a congregation to know who our neighbors are. Who are the people that I could actually go be the hands and feet to Jesus to in five minutes? You know, it's just a quick drive. That's something we can offer to them and that they can offer to us. So this is a, a model of caring for each other in neighborhoods that I think will be really cool for us as a congregation. And we've got a lot of... Um, systems that we've set up. We've been trying to recruit leaders that can help kind of oversee those little neighborhoods. One of the things that I need is I need someone who can be kind of a, a leader over this area 
You don't have to go drive to those people. You just have to be able to kind of look at a list and say, I know that Pam Dean lives in Renton. Great. I'm going to send Pam Dean an email. So if you can be the sort of person that really cares about our congregation overall, and you'd be willing to work maybe, I don't know, an hour or so a week, um, you can do it from your home. We can send you some emails, and you can help us kind of coordinate where our people live. Um, just write down on your bulletin right now a reminder to talk to me after the service, or you can send me an email. Uh, and if you're just the least bit interested in helping me and our leaders care for our congregation, write down a little note, and um, we can go from there. So, uh, I was gone last week, and I was in the the Redwoods. I, I was in Santa Cruz. Has anyone ever lived in Santa Cruz? Been to Santa Cruz? Yeah, there you go. And I drove, uh, are you ready for this, Paul? And then I, from Santa Cruz, I drove 20 minutes, 20, 25 minutes, uh, into a little retreat center in the Redwoods um, for uh, this conference for a, a podcast called On Being, and it was, you know, uh, this gathering, some 4,000 people applied to get in, and only 350, 400 made it to the conference. Um, it was intense. <laughs> um, I was saying to Jack Borland earlier, you know, like, I'm, I'm used to the normal conference where maybe 20% of all the conversations are directly applicable to me. But what is it like when 100% of the conversations are directly applicable and so well curated and so on the point? It was just like, it was really overwhelming. You know, listening to, uh, you know, an Episcopal priest and a Muslim imam talk about how they solved religious division in um, uh, Northern Ireland, right? And I'm just like, this is, this is, this is too much, uh, about how uh, they are working towards um, having bold conversations on race in the south side of Chicago, um, listening to a poet from the Pacific Northwest talk about the spirituality of this community. So there was actually a handful of people from the Puget Sound in that area in that conversation. Uh, it was good. It was just intense. Uh, it, it drained me, and then it filled me back up again. On, a, on, a, on like a quarterly basis every single day. So the first half of the day drained me, filled me up. And I just keep doing that. Um, you know, it was, it, it was good. And then I, I got back. I was here for a little bit. Then I actually went uh, on a trip to Leavenworth uh, on Thursday with some friends. So I've got some friends whose parents own a cabin in Leavenworth. That's the real gold mine, right? the, the parent cabin. Um, they do all the work. We just use the hot tub. Um, So we, we left on Thursday night after everyone got done with work and drove up to Leavenworth. Uh, we get there, and uh, pipes exploded, right? Because it was five degrees in Leavenworth. Um, and so the pipes in the, in the, in the house froze and then exploded. Uh, walked in, and it's just spewing water out like a little pathetic water feature. So that didn't work as planned. Um, so we, we were trying to figure out, so there's three toilets in the house. They have enough water for one flush. Um, how long can we stay here? We couldn't stay there very long. Um, and it started to snow a lot in Leavenworth, and so we basically decided, you know, this is not going to work. So we, we, <laughs> we, 
we, we had lunch in, in Leavenworth and then turned around and drove home. Um, so I basically took a really long, snowy road trip um, for lunch <laughs> and fixed a pipe. You know, uh, and it, who, like, who likes road trips here? Look at that. That's great. I love that. Does anyone really not like road trips? Like, you cannot stand being in the car. <laughs> That's great. You know, I, I grew up with road trips. It was just something my family did. And I don't think they were ever particularly cool. We just kind of, like, drove places. And I remember that my, my dad would kind of come in. I, I think often this was a way for us to collectively, as a family, skip church. Um, so we would say, like, oh, hey, Spokane is calling, which Spokane never does. Um, and we just drove to, I'm sorry, <laughs> throwing some shade at Spokane. <laughs> That's over everyone's head. Um, I loved road trips, and I can't remember if I've told this story or not, but um, I grew up in Atlanta and then moved to the Tri-Cities in eastern Washington when I was 13, 12. Um, and my dad would have regular business trips to Seattle and the Bellevue area, and so I would make these trips over here often as a kid. In fact, growing up, once I had moved here, it was probably one of the mo more consistent places that I was familiar with. You know, I had my grandparents' farm in Boise, and then this area. And it wasn't until I moved out here um, now almost a year ago that I realized how comfortable I felt in this place after all those years of driving, traveling, going on the journey. Um, this feels like home to me. You know, I, I just, I love road trips. And um, I, I, was, I was looking at this uh, uh, article online the other day that was about the, the best and the worst road trip songs of all time. So I think I, I wanted to share this with you. This is probably worthwhile. Um, so uh, if anyone is the professional road trippers here, uh, song choice is crucial, right? When I begin my road trips, I always start with like an hour or two of NPR, and then I really need to kick it up a notch, and then, then the music really matters. So this is, um, so, uh, this is the number one. This was, <laughs> I think it was a car insurance company that did this survey. So. Uh, like Allstate Insurance pulls all their drivers and said, what's the number one song you love to listen to on a road trip? This was the number one song. You ready for this? Any guesses? Do you recognize this song? Yes? Yeah. Uh -huh. But more importantly, if you've ever made this fatal mistake, it's really about avoiding the worst road trip songs. Have you ever been in a car with someone who doesn't have the same music taste as you? That was my experience going up to Leavenworth, all the way up and all the way back, right? So the worst road trip song of all time? Hours of this. Over and over and over again. Second worst road trip song of all time. Oh. 
And then one more for good measure. On that same list, they said, what is, this, what is the most dangerous song to listen to while you're driving? And I thought this was fascinating, that the song could make it kind of inherently dangerous, and this was the most dangerous song. I love this. Hey, get rhythm. <laughs> when you get the blues, come on, get rhythm. Because I imagine you're like tapping the when steering you wheel, get you're the doing blues, something. Get a rock and roll feeling in your bones, but taps on your toes and get gone, get rhythm. When you get the blues, a little shoe shine boy, he never gets low. Thank you, Johnny. The most dangerous road trip song, my goodness, yeah. Uh, I've said this many times before. Uh, the, the Psalms that we have been looking at, Psalms 120 through 134, are road trip songs, right? These are songs, prayers, poems, my phone is still playing. Hang on a second. <laughs> Songs, poems, prayers for the journey. There, there, there are songs that would have been passed down generation after generation. And the song really matters. You have to have a song that matches not just the, the, the tempo of your journey, but the substance of it. You ever listen to a song and you just go like, not today, this is the wrong day for that song. How do you match the tempo and the substance of the song? It's really about this journey and as we have begun this new season in the season of Lent, we're moving towards something and we are whether you like it or not, on a, on a journey. Now, there is a significant difference here between being a tourist and being a pilgrim. It's not bad to be a tourist, but if you're a tourist, it's about the destination. It's about getting there. You've got to get there. That's what you're there for, to see the sights. Many of you adults, when you uh, had youngins, I'm sure you made the, the most brave and daunting of all adult excursions, that trip to like Disneyland or Disney World, where I know at some point you're like, please, God, just get us there, right? Let's just get there, right? It's about the destination. You've got to get there. You got to get there. For the pilgrim, though, it's about the journey. For the pilgrim, the trip, the adventure, the journey begins before it even begins. If you've ever been on a, on a pilgrimage of sorts, maybe you went to Ireland, maybe you went to Israel, maybe you can recall a place in your own life that really is more than just a destination. It's a really full-bodied journey. You know that that begins before the trip begins. You find yourself starting to think about it. Starting to prepare for it. And so we are on a journey. And yet often in the Christian life, we have this tendency to focus only on the destination. 
this shows up in our prayer life. God, get, get me through this. Get me there. Take this away. Fix this. Stop this. Heal this. These pilgrim songs remind me that for the pilgrim's journey, it's not about the destination. It's about whether or not you can put one foot after another. That is the way that you take a pilgrimage. It is step by step. Step by step. In fact, many of the psalms that we have in Psalm 120 through 134 were sung as chants and they were sung in a rhythm or a cadence that would have matched that sort of step by step. Step by step. Not trying to jump to the end, but focusing on where you are now and how you are to be right now. Another great example is any of the music that has come from the slave movement in early America, what do the songs sound like? Chains, step by step, step by step. There are songs about, this is going to be so great when, we're, when we fly away, it's going to be so great when this is over, it's going to be so great, but there's also that call, that invitation to being present right here, right now where it's not about trying to get to the end, it's about focusing on how you are to be in this moment. I love this psalm. Um, I want to read it to you uh, from the, the message translation. Uh, it reads like this. It seemed like a dream way too good to be true. When God returned Zion's exiles. Note the image of slavery there. We were slaves. We've returned. It seemed like a dream too good to be true. When God returned us from slavery, we laughed, we sang, we couldn't believe our good fortune. We were the talk of all the nations. God has been wonderful to them. God was wonderful to us. We are one happy people. And now, God, today, do it again. Bring rains to our drought-stricken lives so those who planted crops in despair will shout hoorays at the harvest so those who went off with heavy hearts will come home laughing with armloads of blessing. I love that line. And now, God, do it again. These people find themselves back in the journey. It was so great. It was so great when we made it. It was so great when we were freed. We sang the songs. Everyone celebrated us. It was a good season for us. You've been in a good season before, yeah? And seasons move like this. And now we're planting things in a drought, hoping that they grow.
And maybe one of the honest prayers for our journey is simply, God, do it again. Do it again. Help me remember what it's like to be a pilgrim, to focus on step-by-step movement rather than just trying to jump to the end. So I'm wondering, what are the prayers for us to remember today? I love uh, this reflection that, uh, of all people, uh, William Faulkner wrote on this psalm. He, he said, we, we build monuments, and I would insert in there landmarks. We build monuments to commemorate great achievements. But footprints are far superior. Monuments tell us we got this far and no farther. This is the height of our achievement. But footprints, footprints say this, this is where I was when I moved again. Footprints say this is where I was when I moved again. So I'd like to suggest for us as we are in this season of Lent, as you are in your own seasons, as an individual, that when you inevitably feel like you are in a harvest, or sorry, when you are in a drought, when the season has changed, when your body is not functioning like it used to, when things are darker than they were yesterday, I'd like to suggest that looking at your footprints may actually be a reminder of the pilgrim journey. That if you can remember your footprints from yesterday, that something happened yesterday, and you still made a decision to move again, that might be a good enough prayer for today. Because for the pilgrim's journey, it is about remembering that, about footprints, about taking steps not about running all the way to the end, fixing every problem, getting there faster than anyone else. It's about step by step by step. So I know that we face, as, as a diverse group of people, I know that we face all sorts of challenges and hurdles in our life. How are we going to handle this? When this happens, what are we going to do? Or what will this be like? Well, I don't know. And you don't know. And you know that some of these challenges are daunting and they scare us. And so may I suggest that if we have any desire to be pilgrims in our own journey, that maybe footprints can remind us that it's all about just moving again, even if it's just one step. Something happened, let's take one step. This is where I was when I moved again. Step by step by step. That is the pilgrim's journey. I think it's a good prayer for us today. I think it makes a pretty decent road trip song too. If the road trip is this thing we've called life. Step by step by step.
I had this uh, really great opportunity the last two weeks to meet with our confirmands that we have here. I think I shared that with you two weeks ago. Uh, I met with the current group of confirmands, and then I met with the, the, the older group of confirmands that went through that I were here before I, I was here. One of the things I talked about with the, with the older group, who are now juniors in high school, um, I talked to them about communion. And, uh, you know, there, there are always varying thoughts about what's going on in this, in this moment. And I know that we have different thoughts, different beliefs. And I think it's safe or it's appropriate to say that when you talk about something like communion, a sacrament, an institution of the church, it ought to mean multiple things. Represent multiple dimensions of how we see God. How we go close to God. I wanted to highlight one that came up in my conversation with the confirmands. I was just pointing out that it is incredibly weird to do this. And I just want to point out how weird this is. We are a group of people that probably didn't hang out with each other yesterday. Some of us are good friends and some of us are not that good of friends. We don't actually know each other all that well. Maybe even after decades of being here. This is a public gathering. We have new people come in, and we've got people that have been here for 50 years. We sing songs that are really familiar to us, and then we sing songs that aren't familiar to us. That's just not a really normal civic thing. This is normally a day off, and yet you've woken up early, traveled on your journey into Bellevue so that you can stand in a large room with a bunch of mirrors to sing songs that you may or may not know with people who you may or may not know. To come forward slowly and patiently in a way that we can't do when we're driving on the highway. To mix and intermingle with each other. To hold out our hands and simply receive something in a way that is so unfamiliar to the rest of our actions in daily living. And to simply eat a piece of bread because we believe that it reminds us we're a part of a body. And to drink something from a cup because we believe we are also called to be an offering. That is a, that, that's a weird thing to be doing. And it is also probably the deepest act of revolution and subversion that you will engage in this week. In a world where it seems we are more and more divided and it is about the powerful taking what they need and want, maybe this sacrament can be a reminder that it's not always that way. That it, it actually still is possible for us to gather together and do things 
where it's usually not anyone's preferred way. And that at the end of the day, it's just about being here together. It's about just receiving that bread from someone. You didn't pay for it. You didn't earn it. This is a deeply subversive act that you're engaging in this morning. And one of the things I believe about church is that when we practice things here, it can breathe us and send us back out into the world. And so I'd like to invite you to join me in this subversive act. We remember that as the story tells us, Jesus met with friends and disciples, people that kind of thought they got it and people who didn't get it and people who were all in and people who were ready to throw Jesus under the bus. And to all of them, Christ says, this is my body, broken for you. Even you, I would like to break for you. He gives thanks and breaks the bread and calls us to do the same. If you are the body, how are you now called to break for others? And maybe not just those we would choose. How might you live a life of universal breaking for others, which is so foreign to many of the systems of power that we have in our world today? Likewise, he took a cup, a cup that was meant to be a, a seal of belonging, of, of cleansing, of being welcomed in, of offering everything I have to you, the finest vintage. And Christ offers the cup to each person and simply says, drink, just drink. Where might you be called today to offer what you have, to offer your finest, your food, your, your, your stories, your conversations, your skills, your homes, your abilities, maybe just your presence. Maybe that is a deeply subversive act that you can engage in. In the name of Christ, you can become this cup offered to someone. I'd like to invite our communion service to come forward. And in a minute, uh, I'm going to invite you to come forward and join me in this uh, deeply subversive act of rebellion and transformation.